This is a continuation of a conversation that we've been having about the World Mother Storytelling Project. This initiative that's come out of the Narrative Office in New York and Narrative's founder Murray Nossel and his exploration of his mother's story. And just over a week ago now, there was World Mother Live, which was a big live streamed event, giving people an opportunity to work with their mother's stories, to listen to their mother's stories and learn to tell their mother's stories. So it's an ongoing initiative and it's been interesting kind of delving into it in a way that we haven't quite yet, really, because we were working towards that event. But really what it's meant to us personally, which is the answer to why, really, why tell your mother's story? Yeah. And on the last podcast, we focused on what that was like for you. Yeah. Yes. And uh, even just having the conversation, I think I uh, realised that there were things that I'd learned from thinking about my mother's story and telling my mother's story that I kind of didn't didn't notice was there. Like, you know, my mother had died 30 years ago. So that process of thinking about her because I was about to tell her story in the first person. So how might she have told that story? How would she have told that story? How would she have told it 30 years ago? That's the mother that I knew. But like, how would how would she tell it now? And what time does? Because, you know, in the years since I lost her, I've become a mother myself, which has given me a different perspective on on her. Um, so yeah, so that was the way that that conversation went. And I wanted to ask you the question. So your mum is alive. And why, you know, you have told a version of, of your mother's story, and you've made that recording. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to f- flip the question to you. What, what mm-hmm. was in, why was it important for you to tell your mother's story? Hmm. Or, or what did you learn from that first go at doing it? Because you, you may do it more, I guess. Well, lots of, lots of things swirling around my head from those two questions only. Um, what did I learn? One thing was with a mother who's alive, I really have an opportunity to go and have some more conversations with her is what I got, because I told a four-minute story and I chose, there's many different ways that you can choose to tell somebody's story in four minutes. You know, you, you can you can home in on some key parts of their story. And you talked about this a little bit, allowing your subconscious to organise what the way you wanted to tell your mother's story. And we talked a little bit about turning points and, you know, how those are a feature of, of stories and they're a feature of our lives. So I told a four minute version of my mother's story in the first person. And I realized there's so much more. And I do have the opportunity to go and have some dedicated conversations with her um, that are specifically focused on me hearing her tell her story. Um, 
so that was one thing I learned. I could I could do it multiple multiple times in if we're looking at four minute stories. And actually, I learned that I really want to do that because that would really be honouring her story. That is the process that Murray talks mm. us all through, mm. um, which is to sit with your with your mother and to to create the space where she can tell her story and to gently guide how she tells it using some of narrative's techniques, using that idea of what happened so that, you know, the all the interpretation and all the commentary that we tend to layer on top of our own stories or the meaning we give to things that have happened to us, that technique encourages you to strip that away a bit, to let that go. And it's interesting. Um, you know, I had a conversation with my mum yesterday uh, about, about this, really, about um, how this process can allow you to just get a little bit of distance to your own story. So... Yes. What do you think she thinks about doing it? Hmm. I, well, the interesting thing is that she watched World Mother Live. She didn't watch it live. She watched the recording because it was on a Sunday night and she watched it in the, in the days after that. And she then told me yesterday about doing the process for herself, doing it in the way that you talked about doing it because her mother's no longer alive and my mum's in her 80s. Um, so she said that she lay in bed and she told it to herself. She didn't speak it out loud, but she told it to herself one morning when she woke up. And I think she allowed her subconscious to do the organising as well. She settled on this one moment um, that, had, that, that she'd heard about, that she'd heard about, she thought from her sister or from a friend of her mother's. Um, and then when she asked her sister, her sister said, oh, no, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, which then led to quite an interesting conversation um, where her sister was like, oh, no, that didn't happen. And um, our father would never have done that. And my mum was like, I, I, I left that conversation thinking, have I made this up? Am I going crazy? And I just said to her, well, but both things could be true. And that really stumped her. She was like, oh, they're both true. What her sister thinks is true, because it's, it's true mm. to her. It's mm. true within this sphere of her experience. And the story that my mum told is true within the sphere of hers. And it's all about how they, how they see their dad, their perception of their, of their dad. So it was really interesting because she, somehow her subconscious had, had settled on this quite dramatic, climactic moment um, for her mum, but it was a very specific moment. It wasn't like, you know, over the course of this period of time, it was one day when her mum was doing something and her husband came home and had a, had a you know, fit of fury about something. And so it's really interesting that she chose to explore that. Um, and she talked about how she, she didn't use the word channeled, um, but how she f- 
found her mum's voice, mm. how her mother's voice, her mother's expression, and um, how she learned something. And again, she didn't really explicitly say this, or maybe she did, but that in telling the story, she discovered something uh, about her mother, and she discovered a perspective of her mother's that felt really true. And that's what's true, when something mm, feels mm. true and authentic. Mm. Um, and I think that was a bit of a revelation to her. She said, I, I suddenly realised how much I've got in common with my mother. Right. So you can do that when you're 81 years old. Yeah, yeah. You can actually have a bit of a, a revelatory moment about somebody who, who hasn't been uh, alive for 50 years or mm. something. Mm. And if you think about it, that's that's an experience that we have a lot when we run workshops, when people tell their stories, mm. that in telling the story, removing the uh, perhaps uh, habitual interpretation that you might have on a particular story, if you take that interpretation away mm. and you tell what happened the empirical facts of what happened. Mm. It gives you a different perspective on your story and you can, you know, you can always learn something different about the experience. You might have put it in a box, you know, that's marked one way and discover mm. that actually mm. there is a whole other way of thinking about the story or experiencing the story. So I guess it kind of, of course, that doesn't surprise me that when you tell your mother's story and you step into her shoes and you speak it in yes. the eye that you will have a different relationship to those facts that you thought you that you knew before and her eye her mother's eye then connects with my mum's eye yeah. that becomes one eye yeah. yes you yeah. feel that connection between you i think yes it's it's very interesting because my mum's a painter and if you asked her how her story enters her work, well, it's it's abstracted. It's, um, you know, she's a landscape artist. Um, but any sense of her own story is really mediated through how the way she expresses, choose to express herself artistically, creatively. Um, so to then tell it very explicitly not implicitly to tell it mm. and to tell it in the first person i think was quite a new experience when you said what do you what do you think your mum feels ab about this process well that was the process of herding it with her mum yeah very different what she might feel about doing it with me and i think that um i think that she's open to that exploration we've had many conversations over the years and I would say over the the last years really as you get older um, my my desire to um, to understand some of my early experiences in my life has got kind of deeper and I've, I've wanted to understand things more and so we've had more conversations in the last 10 years I would say or 15 years um, What's distinct, interestingly, I think, is that I was brought up by my dad. So that idea of mother being a verb to mother, mm, mm. any single parent 
is going to mother and father, whatever gender they are. Yeah, yeah. And my dad um, did a did his fair share of mothering as well. So my mum my was still in my life and I saw her, but from the age of six, my dad was the key parent in my life. And so when I think of him, I literally think of him kind of coming and switching roles, really. My image of my dad is probably from the first 15 years of my life when he would have been in his 30s. And it's him coming home from work, taking off his suit jacket and his tie, not sitting down and standing in the kitchen and starting to cook. Mm. And we, um, you know, I could I could sit and watch telly and he'd be at the other end of the room doing that. And so I've never thought of this before, that idea that that was him standing stepping from one role into another just seamlessly. He wouldn't mm. sit down, his jacket would go off on the back of a chair, tie would come off, and he'd start chopping onions or whatever, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Start yeah. cooking. And it's really interesting thinking of, yeah, of him switching roles. So, so my experience... Oh, I was about to say my experience with my mother is very distinct. Like, I mean, <laughs> what's a redundant thing to say? All of us have such a distinct relationship with with both our parents. Um, but I saw my mum all through my childhood regularly. You know, I'd spend time with her. I'd spend holidays with her, weekends with her, I'd see her after school. But I would say that really, you know, as I became an adult, my relationship with her has become much stronger and um and more complex no Mm, doubt mm. um and do you think it's changed since you became a parent too yes yes i mean i'm trying to think how but yeah no doubt for sure it's changed um i think it's changed for me and it's changed for her I think her seeing me as a parent has shifted something and me seeing myself as a parent in relation to her yeah I I don't know quite Mm. how to put my finger on what but um yeah definitely it's changed it's changed something and what what I what I think is the kind of nub of what I am drawn to exploring is hmm, really understanding what that experience was like for her. Um, I can talk about what it was like for me being brought up mostly by my dad, um, but then what that experience was like for her, which is hard, I think. Because I think there's a lot that's painful in there. Um, there's a lot that's painful on both sides, even though I consider myself to have a, have had a very happy um, childhood and what felt like a very stable environment between both my parents. But I think that doesn't take away the fact that 
it was unusual in the 70s to be brought up by your dad. Mm, mm. Um, and it was unusual in the 70s for a mum to leave a family and not take the children with her. So, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff in there, I think. Um, yes, and as you describe it, it's like there's the personal, of course, which is, you know, absolutely unique to her and you and the relationship between the two of you. But also um, it's very illuminating about the time mm. and attitudes and values, as you say, of of the time. So, you know, again, if we come back to this idea of w why, um, why learn to tell your mother's story, mm. uh, is that, yeah, yeah, there's just immense empathy, understanding, learning about moments in time that, you know, in 2020, you know, we could look at, say, those attitudes prevalent in the 70s and how it was to be being brought up by your dad and your mum having left and what people thought about her, you know, all that stuff. And we can mm. we can have a particular view of it from here. Mm. But to tell it in in the first person as mm. you would be telling that story, that part of her story, you learn something else about it. You learn... You know, we, we say there are a multiplicity of stories about mm. any one thing, and this is just one way of just deepening our understanding of, of human experience through, through being really specific about one human's experience, one yeah. mother's experience. Then we can learn a lot about human experience. Yes, yes. And stories, as you've touched on really, stories don't happen in a vacuum um, stories of real moments in people's lives don't happen um, out of space and time you know I said it, you know this thing that happened in the 70s yes that that is the context that it happened in and that does cast a, a light on the story as you say um, judgments no doubt and I've heard stories of you know the judgment that my mum would have been uh, the kind of recipient of um, in that period of what a mother should mm. be and mm. should do. Yeah. And what's yeah. interesting is, you know, I've talked to my mum about this. Is not, um, it's it's not about uncovering a kind of family secret or a revelation. I know exactly what happened and why it happened. At the same time. As I say that, it's always interesting to hear the story again. I could have her tell me the story again. I feel like I could I could always get something from hearing her tell me the story of what happened. Mm. What happened mm. to her. What happened to me. What happened to my brother. What happened to my dad. And, um, oh, what was I, where was I going with that? Yes. So, um, it, to tell it in the first person. So she's told me that story. Um, but to tell it in the first person is a different thing. It, I mean, we've, we've said it before. It is an invitation to empathy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, as you were describing that, I was thinking about how... Because you've got two brothers. You have a brother and you have a half-brother. Well, I was... Yes. And... Yes. If they were to do the process, how would the story be different? Because it, it would be different. I mean, I'm an only child, right? So I don't... I can't have that experience um, with my mother. But I've got three kids and I imagine that all three of them might tell my story quite differently because it would be through the filter of their, their listening. So if you think about you and your two brothers, mm. then, of course, that's, um, that's why it's this rather extraordinary thing because, you know, we talk about how the listening shapes yeah. the telling how how we listen through our own filters and through our own experience yeah. so your experience was different to one brother's was different to the other brother so all three of you would tell a different story even if you you know you all sat and you listened to your mum tell her story and then all three of you told it it would yeah. come out differently because there's that particular alchemy between in the listening and the telling and and your experiences all being different. Yes. And, it's, and they're all true, like you say, about your mum and her sister. Yes. Yes. I, I was thinking as I was talking um, about how, yes, my mom, mother left and then became a mum again. So yeah. She, yeah. she chose to, to, um, to have that experience again. And that brother... So I have one brother who went through... We shared an experience... We shared an experience of um, a, a different kind of family, you know, being brought up by our dad and our mum not being in our lives as much as she would be. And then I have another brother who came after that and would have a completely different perspective on what happened before he was even born because he was then brought up with a mother and a father. Mm, mm. And... Interestingly, my older brother um, and I always think of our younger brother as, as just our brother. Right. Don't, I don't use the term half-brother. I know, or, I called him your half-brother, but we don't think of him like that at all, do we? No. No. So to, to, to turn the spotlight for a moment, not that I'm... <laughs> Not that I'm scared of this spotlight at all, but to turn it onto what you were talking about about your children, because you have a similar yeah. dynamic. Yeah. In that you've got two children who um who are from one are from one kind of family, if you like. Yeah. And then that family broke up and then you have another child from your current family. Yeah. So what when you you were talking earlier about the opportunity of doing this with your children. I wonder what your first two children would like to know about your story. What story they would like be interested to hear you tell and what that would feel like. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and I've been thinking about that as we've been having this conversation because... I was wondering, oh, well, maybe we should, um, you know, invite Cecily. Cecily might be up for ha having a conversation with us for a podcast, but having a conversation with her about 
about that process because I know that she she tuned into World Mother Live, and so it'd be interesting to know where that's mm. where that took her. And yes, you know, I make an assumption that the two of them might want to know about what happened with their dad a bit more. But maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. This yeah. is just this is my assumption. So in in their listening is is gonna would shape that conversation. And their you know, the I guess the questions that they asked me or or, you know, I would kick off and I would talk about my life and just, you know, n- notice what emerged. And then it would be about them you know, allowing, unfolding that a bit more in the process to, Mm. uh, to get past, yeah, yeah, just my, yeah, the bits that I skate over or the bits that I, that I avoid and what the Consciously or not. Consciously or unconsciously. Where you've got a bit of a shadow over a bit of your experience. Or it might be that, um, she would kick off and say, tell me about X. And yeah. she guides the whole process of where she wants to explore your story. Yeah. Interesting. And it feels, and it does feel kind of um, daunting, actually, because I don't know where it would go. So, right. so that's what I mean about, you know, this idea of sit with your mother, listen to her story, um, you know, ask her questions uh and we say that lightly and easily and and I I don't, it's not like I feel that I've got skeletons in the cupboard or anything like that but at the same time I don't know where that conversation would go and it mm. it requires a um an honesty mm. that uh yeah that very often we we don't we don't have in all our conversations maybe or, or our conversations are, don't necessarily go very deep, or they're mm. just at a yeah, they're at a that's the same thing. They're at a surface level. That's the same as saying they're not very deep. Um, you know what I mean? Um, so the so the idea of having a dedicated conversation with any one of them, any one of my three mm. kids, um, there's something. Oh no, I wonder. I wonder how that would go. Is it slightly daunting? And I also, where it would go. And where it would go. And also the bit of me that just thinks, oh, well, I haven't got anything very, not very interesting, is it? What, what's oh, you my, mean you know, I don't what, have a story? Yeah, I don't have a story. <laughs> which, which is the common thing we yeah. come up against in so many different forms in our work, which is why we have a principle. Yeah, everybody, everybody has, has a story. story. And, we, and we live by that. And I know yeah. that to be true. But, but You can still feel it. Yeah, yeah, and I can feel, yeah, my story's not important. And that is another very good reason to, do to, to listen to mother's stories. Yeah. Yeah, and to do it for yourself. And to do it for myself, yeah. And one final thought from me, something my mum said also, was, uh, and, I, and I don't know, I didn't feel that this is consciously her fear of going there. Um, but it might be subconsciously. But she said, for her, there's something about holding on to her story. And and I said, absolutely, in the ethics of what we do, everybody owns their own story. Mm. Everybody 
is the master of their own story, is the author of their own story and has the right to tell it or not to tell it. And for her, that was something about her work that her work as an artist and that she felt she had a need to hold on to mm. her story mm. because it fed her work, but not explicitly. Right, which right. Which I thought was quite an interesting idea, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, another one of our principles is storytelling as an access to creativity. Well, your mother has her access to creativity and she uses her story, whether consciously or unconsciously, so I can understand why she might want to hold it because she knows how precious it is. For some people, that's an amazing outlet yeah. and discovery that yeah. telling your story plugs you into your creativity and, and shows you that you are a creative person. And I think that's, that's where to end it. The story is precious. Yeah, yeah. And yes. it's your choice whether you hold on to and guard that preciousness or whether you hold it up in front of somebody else and both enjoy how precious it is. Yeah.